Hello everyone, this is John from the Operations Family. Thanks a lot for watching this video. If you'd like to join our community, feel free to visit our website operations.family and apply. We'd love to have you on board. The interview was organized by Palette, a sales platform that simplifies and automates sales commissions. If calculating sales commissions is taking too much of your time, or if you'd like to better explain to the sales team how commissions are calculated, Palette is directly synchronized with your CRM and other data sources to crunch the numbers and calculate commission payouts. Visit palettehq.com for more information. And now, without further ado, let's hear Liam Bouga-Hazoulé, Director of Global Brand Marketing, explain how we increase organic growth and pipeline from 7% to 50%. Okay. Hello, Liam. Hey, how are you, how doing? Are you doing? I'm doing well, man. I'm doing well. Thanks so much for, for joining me on this uh, third episode. Uh, so today we're going to talk about brand and growth. Uh, before that, a quick introduction of you. Uh, like a lot of people that I interview, you, you had a lot of different experience, experiences. Uh, you were a founder at Rue de Baguette. First of all, you, were, you, you came from sunny California to cold Paris, and that's, <laughs> that's already a cool story uh, yeah. per se. Um, but yeah, you, you actually founded Rue de Baguette, and it's actually thanks to you that I discovered Algolia in 2015. So wow. that's a lot like, that this is, uh, this is on you that I joined Algolia uh, as an early employee, so uh, cool. And then you joined actually at Algolia as a brand director. Uh, you were head of marketing at Matt Kudu. Uh, director of Global Brand and Marketing at 360 Learning. Uh, so it's really uh, an honor to, uh, to have you today. Oh, thank you. You're too kind. Uh, the, the first thing, uh, my first question is about what is a brand director and what does a brand director do? Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, you know, brand director is a role that exists Often people have someone in the marketing function who is in charge of brand. Um, and, and the idea of me positioning myself as a brand director really came from my experience in uh, running a media company and realizing just how key it was to think about how people perceive you. You know, as a media company, you have to write for the audience. You know, and my goal was always, how am I going to write something that's going to be genuinely helpful to my audience? In that case, I was writing about French tech startups, and I had this rule, which is I ne it needed to be more interesting than the news. It needed to be, okay, the company raised money, so what? Why should I care? And I wanted to give someone an answer to that each time. And, and when I decided to transition over to SaaS companies and, and was very fortunate to have already known Algolia's founders from being a journalist and, and they took a huge bet on me and gave me this opportunity to join the company. Um, I really wanted to focus on how the message emotionally uh, affects the audience. Uh, uh, and, and marketing is just where that happens to happen. Um, and so a, a brand director really looks at all of the dis different distribution channels and looks at the, the story we produce and the ways we distribute it and, and how that uh, drives uh, 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 people's desire to buy your product. Um, and, 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 and in many ways, it, it lines up, it's, it's almost the natural uh, uh, predecessor to a CMO, less a natural predecessor to a VP of marketing. Um, and I say that because VP marketings tend to be very 
demand generation oriented, mm-hmm. where they're much more about the channel than about the message. And brand director is, is, is really message first, channel second. First, let's make sure that we have a really compelling story. And then let's figure out how do we get that story to as many people as possible through as many channels as possible. Um, okay. And so, and so I, I've been hired as brand director multiple times. I've worked with companies as an advisor um, uh, as well. I typically look at um, departments like content, uh, product marketing, communications, field marketing, design, um, and, and sometimes uh, I'll dip into growth functions like demand generation, paid acquisition, um, even, even BDR and SDR, um, places where the message is being distributed. Um, and, and typically the reason someone brings someone like me on uh, as a brand director is because they already have a VP marketing or marketing leadership or even a CEO or a CRO in place who is comfortable with the pipeline. They're comfortable with the channels, but they're not comfortable with the message. Um, and that really is marketing. Marketing is a one-to-many communication uh, channel, you know, whose goal is to generate uh, a pipeline. And so you really need to be comfortable with the channels and, 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 and the sort of uh, unit economics of how they work and the message that you're putting out. Um, and so, yeah, so I, 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 as brand director, I really come in with that message first uh, priority. I, and I typically work with teams that have uh, historically had a very channel first uh, approach, whether that channel is, you know, a self-serve, uh, uh, you know, word of mouth that's driving people, but you don't really know what they think of you and why they're choosing you or companies that crack outbound or paid acquisition uh, and are trying to figure out, you know, what is the, what is the message that's working and how do we put that into new channels? Wow, that was intense and, and yeah. tons of learnings already. Like the first <laughs> learning that I'm um, uh, like happy to hear is that you can actually hire a brand director very early in the life of the startup. And you actually said before a CMO. Uh, and CMO usually come very early. Um, number two is the is the how wide is the scope of our brand director because you actually have to to care and and about the message, but also being able to work with the design team, the SDRs, the marketing, <laughs> the content, of course. So um, that's a job with uh, like uh, multiple hats and and very tough to find the the, the right profile for for that. And uh, I understand why being a founder before helped you. To, yeah. uh, to to become a brand director because we are, you already probably worked with every teams um, exactly. before exactly yeah it's I mean it's a very founder friendly position um, I've I've typically reported to a CEO I've, I've uh, even when I have reported to a VP of marketing um, I work pretty closely with CEOs because they're very invested in the brand it's their it's their company you know uh, the, especially when the CEO is the founder um, and uh, it's something where it's a very particular choice to report to a CEO. They, they, have, they have priorities. You're very rarely their number one priority because they have so many things that they're looking at, but you really need to know how to like bring them value in a, sh- in a short amount of time. <laughs> um, you know, you have an hour with them a week. How are you, what do they need to know? What do you need from them? And, and how, do you, how do you reassure them that everything you're working on is going in the right direction? Yeah. Being a direct report to the CEO is also a, like a dangerous job. You better, if you're taking some of uh, their time, you better, yeah. you better bring value. Well, you know, what's funny is, I mean, you know, I, I, um, I've, I've, I've had the fortune of working with a lot of companies, um, but it comes with the caveat, which is that I, I tend to move uh, uh, around a lot. 
Um, and, and the average tenure of a marketer in, in startups, but specifically in SaaS is about 18 months. Um, and how long, especially marketing leadership, CMOs, VP marketing, directors of marketing. One, because you tend to bring in a marketer for the problem you have today. Um, whereas a VP sales, I think it has a longer trajectory in terms of how relevant you are to the problems people are facing. Uh, a VP marketing, you know, you have that problem, you solve that problem, and then you're about to hit a brand new problem that might require, you know, we don't have a messaging problem anymore. We have a channel problem. So we need to bring in the channel guy. And either that existing person is relevant. Uh, and for most of my career, I've been punctually relevant, but not long-term <laughs> relevant because I, because I hadn't seen a lot of things. Um, um, but then you kind of build up over time this sort of repertoire of having seen uh, more and more things and you start to stay longer and longer at companies. Yeah. But it's a very, um, <clears throat> very cutthroat uh, uh, role. Uh, the, the marketing yeah. leadership. But that, that's just uh, being honest, actually, when you say I'm punctual relevant, I'm not long-term relevant. And, and, and yeah. they're, they're, nobody's uh, long-term relevant, <laughs> you know, like even the CEO. Um, yeah. Cool. And every time when you joined the, the company, Imad Kudo, uh, 360 or Algolia, uh, you were the first one to work on brand. Yeah, I mean, I'm usually the predecessor. I'm usually the successor to the CEO owning the brand. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Um, and and very often, mostly because of the nature of the companies that interest me, the person who worked on brand before was not a marketer. Um, it's, I I've, I very rarely worked for marketer CEOs. Um, I tend to like to work for engineer CEOs because I understand engineers really well. I, I have an engineering background. It just it's just not the you know, the tool that, that I use in my toolkit. Um, uh, and I tend to understand what they're looking for. Um, and, and I tend to know the problems that they're facing. Um, but yeah, so very often I'm the first person who's ever owned it indeed. Um, and, and that means um, taking something that's implicitly understood and making it explicitly clear. Um, you know, whether that be building the brand design systems or the visual identity, figuring mm -hmm. out what do, we, what do we look like or figuring out the tone of voice is very tough. Oftentimes that's very implicit. You know, it's the tone of voice before I arrive is usually the tone of voice that the team collective, you know, that the company collectively yeah. uses and it becomes a sort of, maybe it's consistent, maybe it's not. Um, um, and, and you kind of have to build this platform. You have to turn brand into a platform where everybody can consistently become an ambassador to the brand. They know yeah. how to talk. They know the language we use. They know the narrative that they're supposed to be telling. Um, and it's a, uh, yeah, it's a lot of it's a lot of it's a lot of work. Yeah, that that's a great topic, like making everyone in a team an ambassador, uh, and I think that you you actually wrote about it how you how you push even the engineers, like everyone in in the team, to talk at events, to be a speaker, to write yeah. uh, blog posts, and I know for a fact that you 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 worked on a lot of on that at Argolia to really empower people to uh, yeah. tell stories and communicate about what we were building at Algolium. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of places where a dedicated content team is really valuable. And, and, we'll, and that, that, might, that might get a little deeper into how I think about brand. Um, but, um, you know, things like, you know, we want to make sure that when our buyer is searching, you know, for the solution to his problem on Google, that he finds content, he finds our narrative, right? That's a content team. I don't want an engineer trying to write SEO content, mm -hmm. but at the same time, the people in the company are naturally experts at the at, at information that is relevant to our audience, especially 
the buyer persona, the internal buyer persona. So at Algolia, we were building a developer tool. So getting as many of the developers in the company to talk about anything they wanted to talk about was valuable because our buyer is naturally going to be drawn to hearing about the internal buyer. If you hear developers at Algolia being smart, you're going to think that the product is smart. It's that's that's how that works, right? If there's a pretty girl wearing the, the nice clothes on the runway, you're going to think you're going to look pretty if you wear the clothes. It's 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 very much the same thing. Um, and so my, my I've always really pushed that at, at companies of getting the not the knowledge that's the collective knowledge that's inside and trying to get it outside yep. as much as possible. Yep. Um, yeah. Cool. Uh, so actually, the topic of today <laughs> was about um, making brand a growth function. And it's more specifically, you know, like um, many sales organizations or sales team tend to uh, not measure uh, correctly uh, brand because it, it doesn't necessarily, they don't know how to measure brand as a pipeline generation. It's actually one, one of the topics that I discussed with uh, Josh from uh, Orbit uh, last week uh, about communities, that uh, sales team have the same problem with communities. They don't know how to measure what communities can bring to the team because they, they think uh, in terms of funnel. It's pretty much the same with brand. Uh, so I would love, because you told me you had a methodology yeah. Uh, for making brand a, a growth function. And I would love to, 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 to hear it. Yeah, definitely. Mm. And, and, you know, a lot of my, I, I started to develop, I would say a hypothesis about how do you measure brand while at Algolia, because Algolia had a very unique problem, very rare problem, which was we had so much viral traction in, the, in, the, in those first years that it was really hard to figure out what marketing should be doing and, and how to credit marketing uh, with based on the results that we were seeing. Because for the most part, when we looked at our marketing automation tool or even Salesforce, it was someone typed in algolia.com on a browser, they created an account, and then they get put in their credit card. And then, you know, and then after they used the product enough, Jean called them. And then they decided to give us $30,000 a year. So what did marketing do? And, and, that, and that was a really interesting problem. Um, and, and it wasn't something that I was familiar with. Um, but people generally agreed implicitly that obviously this was because we had a well-known brand. And so we did things like we built a developer relations team and we wrote content because we knew that because we had a brand, people were listening, but we didn't really know how to connect things back. And um, when I went to Mad Kudu, I basically got to go from seeing one pipeline, Algolia's, who was a customer of Mad Kudu, to seeing every one of Mad Kudu's customers and seeing the problems that they were facing and how they were doing lead score, essentially trying to figure out who was going to give them money based on how they had arrived in the funnel. And one of the things that I noticed was that consistently, brands that you would qualify as being strong had more than half of their inbound pipeline coming in organically. So they still had paid acquisition functions and they had these and they could see the Facebook ads are doing this and it's costing us this and this is how much we're willing to spend on it and we want to grow these things and we're touching them with webinars down the funnel. But by and large, uh, more than half of their funnel was what would be called organic channels, mm -hmm. uh, referral, 
you know, search driven, direct traffic, right? Campaign driven, you know, when, uh, you know, when Stripe launches something for the first eight years and probably still to this day, the only metric they cared about when they published a blog post was being number one on Hacker News. <laughs> and, and they were every single time. And there was a variant and, and they knew that that was part of their brand was that when they spoke, it was the thing. And, and, and that was really powerful. And so, and, and, and if you looked at Stripe's, you know, pipeline, the vast majority of it was organic and the vast majority of things like paid acquisition were more defensive or uh, supporting their, their existing brand. It was more like when you search Stripe, we don't want our competitors competing against us. So let's just make sure, you know, that we're the top place to add as well. Um, so when I came to 360 Learning, I, I really, um, you know, we were one of those companies that had developed paid acquisition very well early on. And the vast majority of our pipeline was, was through demand generation channels, um, uh, paid emailing, webinars, uh, uh, Google ads, Facebook ads, things like that. Um, and, and, and my goal was to build a brand. And so what I said was what I want to look at was at the time it was about 7% of the pipeline was organic channels, referral, direct content, search, things like that. And I said, I want to move that percentage up. And so what we're going to do is we're going to do things that we believe would improve our brand, but we're going to measure whether that's actually working based on the pipeline numbers. And we're not going to look at each individual lead and say this article got us four SQLs. We're going to look over time if with a fixed investment, we can increase the percentage of our pipeline that is coming in for free. Meaning overall, we're driving down the cost of acquisition, we're driving or increasing our ability to spend more money on paid acquisition because, on, because as a function of the whole, it was still a, a lower cost of acquisition. Uh, and, and that was what we wanted to move. And so when you start to shift away from brand as being a support function, for example, producing content so that the sales team can send it out. And if you say, okay, we're gonna still produce content, but we're not gonna measure the success of content based on whether the sales team is happy with it or whether the paid acquisition team generates leads from it. We're gonna measure the success of that content based on whether organically people demonstrate the value of it, whether that content creates pipeline, whether that content ranks on, on Google, Right, whether you know, and then and in addition, happy to have sales use it, happy to have demand generation use it, no problem. But you switch out of brand being this sort of what I call like a brand and communications role, where it's really a, a support function for the other teams, and you switch into a growth role where you say, okay, now we're going to look at the white space and we're going to try to grow the white space, um, because a lot of the reasons that most companies struggle to measure the impact of brand is they want brand pipeline to look like demand generation pipeline. They want it to look like the person clicked on this ad, they went on that landing page, that landing page has a 3% conversion rate and it cost us this much and they ended up paying us this much, therefore it was ROI positive. And so when they see that they can't measure that, they go, well, how are we supposed to know, you know, sure, 30% of our pipeline is coming in through direct, but how do we know that that's because of brand, right? And, and so, and, and that is the, the leap that has to be done is to realize that there is no other reason why someone would open up a Chrome tab today in 2021 and type algolia.com and then schedule a demo and give you money other than the fact that they already knew who you were before they, you know, got onto their browser. 
right? And 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 that's the shift. So, um, but yeah, that's really that was- cool because there are so many interesting things here again. And 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 then the first one is sales are not the only one to own revenue. And we see a lot of that happening in different companies, especially now product-led companies, where, for example, a Datadog, uh, PMs, product managers, will also be responsible for revenues. Yeah. And, and, and this is a trend that we see over and over right now, uh, where the sales or the revenue team are no longer uh, the one responsible uh, for the revenue or not the only one at least and the second thing that is related to that is that the tools that revenue and sales team use to uh, analyze uh, revenue are are not adapted necessarily when someone else is responsible for the revenue Uh, so sales will think in terms of uh, funnel but funnel doesn't apply to communities Uh, and and the funnel also doesn't apply to revenue that is coming from brands. Yeah. So that's well, you know, super. A, a, a lot of that comes from the fact that sales and demand generation are designed for a very specific purpose, which is to move someone down the funnel, move all of the people down the funnel who currently have the problem you're trying to solve. That's why demand generation and sales get along so well is because they're trying to fundamentally do the same thing. Sales is trying to run, you know, whatever sales methodology you have, it's figuring out, do you have a problem and budget and all of, and the authority and all the, and, 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 the, and is the timing right? And, and demand generation channels that are measurable are mostly built around the same principles. We are going to target keywords mm-hmm. or we are going to target audiences that we believe have a problem that we're trying to solve because they've Googled it before, because they already visited our website because they attended a, 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 a webinar, right? The problem is that brand isn't trying to identify, isn't trying to reach people at the time of need. It's trying to reach your audience before they have the problem so that when they have the problem, they already know who you are. And so demand generation and the money that you put into paid acquisition and, and, and other demand generation channels is all the money you have to pay because you didn't get in front of that same person three months ago. It's a, it's a fee, which is why it's so expensive. It's, yeah. it's expensive because you're late. Whereas, yeah. and, so, and, so they, and so when, when you know, demand generation and sales teams go to look at these non-demand generation, non-funnel compliant pipeline, they don't understand it because they're saying, well, what was the need that brought them to us? And the need was they had a problem and they already knew who we are, so they just came directly to us. Yeah, and they and they were willing to pay. Like we, we both have headphones, and it just reminds me that uh, Apple released new headphones that cost something like seven hundred dollars, mm-hmm. twice as much as already pretty strong and pretty high uh, end headphones. And this is also the power of the brand and the fee that you are paying as a sales team when you don't have a strong brand, is the difference between how much money you could get from the same product and how much money you're getting now. Uh, and this is also because, well, the customer already knew about Apple way before they had this problem. Exactly. Yeah, it's funny because, you know, when you have a not well-known brand, well, among other things, you, you end up in feature comparisons because the person coming to you isn't coming with your narrative, with your product in mind. They're coming with a product or a idea and then you end up having to sacrifice pricing because people are saying, well, I can get all of the features that I need 
from you and three other people. And, and one of those people just offered me 50% of the price as you. So what can you do? But you've already kind of lost the, the conversation because people aren't coming to you because they need you. They're coming to you because they need a thing and they're wondering whether you are a thing, right? <laughs> and, and, and a lot of that comes down to it. So, and, but, but that again, that, that for me is the support side of brand. That's how we support sales is we make it so that sales isn't selling a feature. They're selling value. They're selling a narrative. They're selling, you know, a, a new category, a, you know, the new game. Cool. So if we go back to the, um, to that very, uh, that number, like how, what's the percentage of leads that are coming organically? How were you able to link that with yeah. your job? Yeah. So when I joined 360 Learning, um, we were, we had just expanded into the US market maybe a year and a half prior. Um, and, and we had two things that we needed to do. One, we needed to grow pipeline in the US because we had a sales team. They needed to be fed, got to feed sales. And number two, we had realized that overall the sales strategy that we'd been using in France and transposed to the US wasn't working. We weren't, we weren't going to be able to expand, scale that playbook. And so we needed to rewrite the playbook, meaning rewrite the story, rewrite you know, the sales deck, rewrite everything, right? Rewrite the website. Um, and so we did both of those in parallel. We, we worked on the product positioning. We worked on the strategic narrative. We launched a new category called collaborative learning, which um, due to an unfortunate uh, and convenient series of events ended up getting adopted by our industry very quickly in 2020 because suddenly collaboration and online learning just ended up being a huge, huge face uh, in 2020. And um and at the same time, we, we launched campaigns. And so when, when we wanted to, you know, we wanted to move the needle on the amount of leads that were not coming in from paid acquisition. And so there's a number of things you do. You want to build long-term consistency. So we wanted a website with a valuable narrative. We wanted the website to be converting. So I, had a, I have a dedicated uh, website PM who has a team uh, working on that. And they're always focused on traffic uh, retention and conversion um, uh, across the website. Uh, I have uh, other short-term, you know, measurable brand initiatives like content and, and, and campaigns. So we would launch a new feature. We would launch on product hunt. Uh, we would launch, uh, you know, a new series. We would get the whole company involved. And at the same time, we built out this sort of passive flow of direct traffic and started measuring it. And we just tried to move that needle uh, a little further uh, every single month. And basically between you know, mid 2019 and, and, you know, Q1 2021, we moved from about 7% of pipeline coming in to, to about 50% of pipeline coming in uh, organically, um, which, which is great. And, and due to not just our effort, but the efforts of many teams, the sales team is, is incredible at 360 Learning. Uh, the US sales team, I mean, is wow, salespeople, I don't know how you guys do it. Um, you know, the product team uh, is incredible as well, but a lot of what we needed to do is really become a brand. Um, and, and so you do a lot of the things that people associate to building brand. You know, we, uh, uh, we policed the brand. We had a strategic narrative. And when someone wanted to put something out into the world, we would say, how is that proof of our story? And people would say, well, it isn't. This is just the way we've always done it. So, you know, it works. And I'd say, it doesn't work anymore. It doesn't work because we changed the story. And if you tell that story and then, and then they meet sales and sales is telling a different story, the person's not going to buy our product because who would buy a product from a company that tells two different stories to the same person? 
right? And so that a lot of it is about creating that consistency, collaborating with product marketing, collaborating with sales, with uh, sales enablement. Um, and, then, and then at the same time, driving that story by creating campaigns, creating new own channels. We launched an email newsletter. Um, we, we, we went really big on LinkedIn. Um, uh, we, we went really big on, on search uh, and on SEO. Um, now we rank, you know, now we outcompete SAP for SAP's category, you know, things like that. Um, and uh, yeah, you, you kind of take a, a multi-pronged approach to, to create short-term wins because you always need short-term wins in marketing uh, while creating a long-term sort of uh, underbelly that, that's, that's yeah. uh, resistant to seasonal change. And that's huge, like from seven to 50 to five zero, like you, all, yeah. you, you, you cut the, uh, the um, paid growth in half, yeah. basically. Yeah, that's, yeah, and it's uh, funny because at the same time, yeah. it was great because the market was very competitive and we actually needed, in order to keep up the amount of paid pipeline we were generating, we needed to spend more money no matter what. And the impact was we were able to do that because we, because we had this organic pipeline coming in, yeah. um, and 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 that became very helpful. And so we were able to really push the ceiling on what we were able to do before, outcompete still, because the 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 you know we 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 didn't have to generate eighty five or ninety five percent of our pipeline as paid acquisition, um, and and that was a huge help. Um, and. What what worked immediately? Because you said that uh, it's important to to bring early wins. Yeah. Uh, what worked immediately? What didn't? What worked in the long term? Um, yeah, I always find um, you know whenever people bring in a creative person into marketing, they always, I, I you know I was just talking with a company uh, uh, earlier this week about that. They always want to know like what's your idea for how we're going to stand out? You know what's the what's that catchy thing that's going to make us stand out? And my answer is always if it. One, I don't think that's the job of marketing. Uh, it's just, that's a, it's like a very old, old way of thinking about marketing. Um, but number two, it's less about the individual idea and more about the consistency of the drum. The thing about great brands like Slack and Stripe uh, uh, and Asana, Asana is a great example, is that it's just every time you turn around, they've got something to say. When they're not launching a feature, it's their head of sales enablement talking about how a new feature helps them internally do sales enablement. And you're like, oh, that's cool. I mean, if they're using it, then I guess we got to look at it, right? It's, it's just a consistent beat of the drum. And so one of the things we did in 2020 is we just committed to doing a public-facing launch every month. Okay. Um, and and, at, and at, uh, Algolia, it was quite similar. I think if you go on my product hunt profile, there's a period in 2017 where we just said every six weeks or every three weeks, we're going to launch on Product Hunt. And, and that's what we did. Algolia for Shopify, Algolia for WordPress, Algolia for Ruby, you know, Algolia personalization, right? And we just, I just, people want to see that you're doing something. And that if, if you know, it's not about whether I'm a Shopify user that makes me, it's, it's more about, oh, wow, Algolia is in Shopify now. Wow. I mean, like, you know, that's okay. I mean, I'm a Magento user. I wonder if, oh, they do have a Magento plug. Okay, I guess I should look at, you know, it, it doesn't actually matter so much what the campaign scope, idea, audience, value prop is. It's not about promoting that one thing. It's about promoting the ecosystem. We're constantly coming out with stuff. And really good companies, you just feel like they're constantly coming out with stuff. Drift. It feels yeah. like they have new products, new categories, a new story <laughs> that somehow it's, 
it's a new story, but it's part of the same story, right? Yeah. It's consistent, it's, and it's authentic. And so that was the thing that we put in place really early. And to be honest, you know, that wasn't the thing that was driving a thousand SQLs. But what we saw was it was driving a ton of traffic. And in the months following that, pipeline, organic pipeline started to go up. Yeah. Right. And once and you have traffic, you can it. also optimize for that. And, and, and it, yeah. exactly. And in, in great teamwork, you know, working with uh, demand gen on retargeting, working, working with the website team on optimization. But yeah, we, you know, we saw organic traffic go up. We saw, you know, we saw, we started ranking better. Uh, our, our overall domain authority went up because more people were looking at us, more people were checking us out or talking about us. And, and, that, uh, and that unlocks new things. So first six months of 2020 launches, be visible, be consistent, reinforce your message. You know, we're the number one collaborative learning platform. Second half um, uh, of 2020, we leveraged that brand traction. Gartner's talking about us, industry analysts are talking about us, and we launched co-marketing. And I think, I mean, really there's like four key things that you can do to build brand. It's content. So we launched the blog in the first half uh, of 2020 um, with a new director of content who now has a team of four people under her. Uh, campaigns. So this consistent cadence, constantly how each campaign reinforcing your overall story. Uh, Co-marketing. So connecting your brand to uh, uh, complementary brands with a bigger if not different audience, right? So, you know, we, we do co-marketing with, you know, we try to do co-marketing with SAP. We try to do co-marketing with Udemy. We try to do co-marketing with Coursera, you know, with, uh, uh, you know, with, with Sendesk, companies that are different from us, but have same values in a similar audience, right? We, we, we wanna reach, we wanna grow our brand by just squeezing in to other people's worlds and finding people where they are. If you don't already know us, you're not gonna, you know, you might not get our email newsletter, but you might discover us because that other email newsletter you subscribe to is going to be talking about us in a week. How did you convince them to do co-marketing with you? Yeah, I mean, one is um, most companies struggle to build a creative engine. And so by prioritizing building a creative engine, that becomes your differentiator in a lot of ways. So one, we, we produced great content. So in the first half of 2020, we launched a documentary following the first 90 days of a new employee at 360 Learning. Oh, I remember and that. that. Yeah. And that accomplished seven goals for the company, none of which were generate pipeline. Although we do hear from prospects from time to time that they really enjoyed you know, following Joey and they're really excited about season two, right? Um, but it, it, it connected our brand to a, a key use case in our industry. Onboarding is a learning use case, right? Um, it it uh, helped our recruitment team because we were hiring a lot of people. Uh, it, it showed a level of transparency and emotional authenticity that allowed people to build an emotional relationship with us, which is the goal of a brand. Uh, and lastly, it sent a signal to a bunch of other marketing people, including the CMO of our biggest competitor, who reached out to us and said, I don't know how you got to do that and how you got the budget for it, but I'm super jealous. And, and because of that, people wanted to work with us because they said, I don't know how they got that to work, but I need to associate myself to that because I've got the audience of 60,000 people, but I don't know how to get them excited. And we know how to get people excited and we want an audience. 
Yeah. Which is funny because it's very similar to what I did with Rude Baguette as a media. I was a relatively small blog who was speaking at the Web Summit, you know, or, or I spoke at South by Southwest or at CES because those people had an audience and they needed someone who had a different point of view, someone who had a unique story, someone who had a unique insight. I had insight into what was going on in the Paris startup scene and I needed an audience. And so you find this, this connection, the message and the channel, right? And so when people bring me in, they, they tend to invest pretty heavily in getting the message right. And then you find that that's actually an asset that you can trade out. You can trade out, uh, you know, we get people who write articles about the articles we write. You know, we have emails that, sh you know, other people's newsletters, other companies, or even independent people who have their own audience sharing out our content because, because we write good stories and we focus on uh, being a creative engine. And, and that's the, that's the like strategic uh, investment and the yeah. advantage of having someone in that brand director role. That's awesome. So be authentic, be consistent, have a story, have your own story. Um, and, um, and it can impact way beyond just revenue. It can also impact uh, your hiring. And that's actually great when you can compete with Amazon, Google, Facebook uh, in salaries, you can actually have a, a strong brand uh, that uh, makes people want to want to join you. Uh, cool. There are really, you know, that is, um, it doesn't matter how big you are. You know, when I, when I went and joined Mad Kudu, I was employee number three. They were, I mean, and employee number two joined the same day as me or, or maybe a month or two before me, <laughs> right? Um, people knew who they were because the founders spent so much time creating value for their customers and taking time out of their day to go into the offices to go to small meetups, to, to go to uh, you know online groups and share what they knew, and and they became and now now if you look at the customers they're working with and they're they're huge they're inevitable because everybody associate and they're like I need to use the product because the people behind the product are obviously smart so what's the odds what are yeah. the odds that this person who knows more about this thing I need to do as, as part of my job has built a product that's somehow going to be worse than what I would do without their help. Um, maybe a few, uh, well, we, we, we have, uh, do you have like more 10 minutes, 10 I, more I minutes? A, I got a little more. I, yeah, 10 minutes. Well, okay. Let's okay. To, so let's, let's, let's finish, let's finish with the, um, um, but you have two minutes to answer this one. What are the skills any brand director should have? How, when you, when you're hiring a brand director, what are the skills you should look, uh, look for? I think the, the first one is you want someone with a very broad um, uh, understanding of marketing. Um, I don't mean digital marketing. I, I, for me, it's like, do you know the 22 immutable laws of marketing, which is a very, very old marketing book. And, and I don't care if it's that one or another one, but it's like foundational marketing, like manipulation of, of people. Um, and I think when you're looking for a brand director, you, you want someone who can compel you, uh, 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 who can get you excited about something because they're going to have to get your audience excited. They're going to be playing on that emotional register. Mm -hmm. So if you find someone who looks like a great operator, they've been working at a brand agency for years and they want to come in, you know, you can bring them in as a brand director, but they're going to have to hire a bunch of really creative people underneath them 
And they're going to run into the same issue that you've run into managing those people is like, it, it's hard to manage creative people if you're not a creative person, which is why I tend to manage content teams, but also product design teams yeah. because creatives are, are, are hard to manage. Okay. Um, the other, the other thing that's super important is someone who understands the industry that you're in. They don't need to have experience in it, but you need to understand what are the driving factors behind it. If you're going to sell it to developers, you need to understand where developers are today. It's not enough to say, I'm going to do my, you know, my persona development and I'll get to know it. You, you have to kind of get the audience a little bit. You know, consumer marketers have to understand their consumers and, and B2B marketers need to understand their, their, their buyers. Like they need to empathize with their struggles. I know that engineers struggle to use Elasticsearch because they're not, you know, search engineers. And that's a whole, and they don't, they don't believe fundamentally that they're going to build something that's on par with Google. So when I talk to them, I want to make them feel like without having to become a specialist, they can remain a full stack generalist, but they can still build something that's great and they will look amazing. I'm giving them superpowers, right? And, and you need to understand the, the, the psyche of where they're at. So yeah, th those for me are the key. Everything else, learnable. Okay, cool. Uh, that's awesome. And let's finish with the famous five. So current or favorite business or non-business book. Okay. Here's a book that I, I listen to every time I go running and I just listen to it on loop. It's called Green Lights. It's by Matthew McConaughey. It's Matthew McConaughey's uh, memoirs, the actor. And it is like, it is the dose of American optimism and energy and motivation that I think everybody needs. Um, and it's a great book. It's really about how to see the, the green lights in life, you know, and how to not mistake a red light for a green light or a green light for a red light and, and just understanding how to go. Uh, and okay. I, and that, that book has been incredible. So that's what the Californian brings to France, uh, the, uh, the American energy. Cool. Uh, an executive one should follow or study. Okay, that one's a big one. Um, I'm a big fan um, of, of Ashley Stepien. She's the current VP marketing at Webflow. Uh, I got the chance to meet her a couple times uh, when she was at Pendo before that. She is a powerhouse uh, on marketing. She, I mean, she, she goes and works for companies and then they become inevitable. Um, she hires amazing people uh, and, and she's got the, like, the magic combo of understanding like revenue the pipeline and and the message all at once and and like yeah so uh, Ashley Stepien she's like I go to her all the time I keep asking her I keep asking her to hire me Ashley if you're watching please hire me um, but if but if it's not today, we'll deliver the message future. yeah favorite Twitter Reddit account or things you do to relax yeah I, I you know I, I try to disconnect a lot um, to, to to relax I find like um, you know I got I got enough stuff going online I'm a big fan of puzzles. Um, oh, me my too. Wife, yeah. Um, my wife and I are currently, we, we found, we have a small place. So my puzzle's actually underneath my couch that's right behind me. We, we found out if you take like a refrigerator cardboard box, you can just slide it under the couch. And then, so at night we just slide it out and we do it because we don't, we don't have an extra table. Um, but yeah, big fan. If you okay. ever want to make me happy, buy me a Ravensburger puzzle. Uh, <laughs> We'll we, do. we just recent we just recently did one it was only a thousand pieces and so we never looked at the picture on the on the cover before we did it we just opened it up and and, and did it ourselves that was great it was we tried it okay cool uh favorite online tool Ooh. 
You know, originally I was going to say Notion because I'm a big, I'm a big Notion fan. Um, but then when I was thinking about the audiobooks, I think Audible is yeah. like a, a really underused resource for, mm-hmm. for one reason. And my brother showed this to me. Shout out to Steve Bogar, PM in the Valley, super smart guy. Um, when you buy Audible's like $15 a month subscription plan, it's one credit per month, which is I don't listen to a book faster than that. However, if you return that book when you're done, you get the credit back. So if for some reason you are going through books faster, you can literally just return them and, and switch it out for another book. And so I, there have been like weeks where I've just been on binge listening. You know, I'm running all the time I'm, or I'm traveling uh, back in the day. And, and I just go, I just hammer through books. Um, and, and I find that, I think that tool is amazing. It's like Clubhouse 1.0, basically. Okay. <laughs> I like that uh, comparison. And and who should I interview next? Okay. I'm, I'm calling it number one product leader in SaaS in, in France, Lucas Cerdon. I think, I think like I've been long on Lucas Cerdon for, for, since before I knew him at Algolia. Um, I yep. thought he was a smart guy when he was at Presta Shop. And uh, I think he is one of the He is one of the rare Silicon Valley PMs that is in the Silicon Valley. That guy, that guy understands the product. He understands the engineering. He understands sales. He understands marketing. Like that is the guy. Like that guy's going to be a, a product leader for the next like 20 years. Boom. You'll see him. He just went over to Databricks. Databricks became twice as good of a company as soon as I found that out. Um, and and I, yeah, yep. I think he's the guy. He's, he's, I'm, I'm long on him. Okay. Luca, if you're hearing me, you're, you're next. <laughs> cool. Liam, thank you so much. That was, that was gold. Um, that was really cool. Um, and I think every sales leader, uh, but not only should uh, watch this uh, interview and, uh, it was, it was really great to have you. Yeah. Thanks. For thanks so much. Really great. Yeah. Talk to you soon. Cheers. Bye. All right, everyone, thank you so much for watching this video. We'd love to hear your feedback, so feel free to send us a message or ping us directly in the comments. And if you'd like to join our community, feel free to visit our website, operations.family. Cheers.